0: Thank you for singing with us. Um, the passage that we read earlier, that Michael read for us earlier, from Isaiah 40, is foretelling the announcement, not of the birth of Christ, but the one who would announce the birth of Christ. The prophet Isaiah is saying that there's going to be someone who's going to come, we, we read about, in the wilderness, and then he is going to talk about someone who's, who's coming right after him. So, Isaiah 40, the announcement of the announcement, right? (laughs) Um, And it was very important for the gospel writers, when we say gospel writers, we mean those who wrote the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, to communicate that what was written long ago has actually happened. We're going to look in a few moments at a passage from the gospel of Luke. Luke draws on Isaiah 40 because it was very important for the authors writing about Jesus to say, this isn't just something that has happened, but people have been talking about this for hundreds and hundreds of years, that this stuff was foretold that when we talk about the prophets that God spoke through, that's actually true and, and they were telling the truth. And the reason they did this was to communicate two things simultaneously, that, that God was faithful and that God is faithful at the same time. That at, the, that at the same exact time, God was and is faithful. That what he said through the prophets was true, and, and here it is true again because it has actually happened. These words from Isaiah chapter 40 were spoken in the ballpark of 750 years prior to Christ's birth. That is a very long time, <laughs> depending on how you view time. Uh, that's a long time for me. Um, and Luke quotes these words... To tie in the testimony of the prophets and the reality of God. To communicate to those that were experiencing the birth of Christ that may or may not have been familiar with the prophets like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, and others. To tie in the testimony of the prophet to the reality of God and the birth of Christ. This was a very important thing to do. And... As we consider this Advent season, we look at what Advent means. As a word, it means arrival. Um, other synonyms would include waiting or uh, patience, things like that. But, but we wait. We, we wait for the arrival. And we say this because Jesus has arrived. And last week, we dis- uh, discussed a really important reason why Jesus came. He he heard the cries. God heard the cries of the people. He saw the desolation. He saw the brokenness. He saw people that exhausted every single resource to find hope could not find it. And so he sends himself as that hope. And we talk about the, the layers to Jesus' arrival, his vision for hope and restoration towards his creation. This morning, a new week, a new theme, we talk about another reason why Jesus came down to earth, Um, and it is this. Jesus came to announce and inaugurate the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked about the kingdom of God plenty of times in this church, and it's good for us to do that, because the kingdom of God is one of the main points of what we would call the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where the good news of Christ meets us today. It goes from something that happened to something that can mean something for us today. And and we we share this message every time we gather because there's really nothing much more important than this (laughs) to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is this that God, first of all, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, where he loved the world so much that he sent. And gave himself to the world through, a, through an act of love, perhaps the most profound love that the world has ever seen, a death on the cross. Something particular about the death on that cross is that the life of Christ did not warrant such a death. But there were so many people that were disturbed by the amount of love that he was showing the people that hadn't really received love before that they chose to arrest him, falsely accuse him, and he died on a cross. But the story doesn't end there, which is a great thing. that He does indeed die, like humans do. We we die, and, and he does die as well. He's buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from that grave. He revealed himself to people, and then he ascended into heaven. There he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And it is the news of his life His death, His resurrection, and His ascension that makes possible for us here in this planet, in our lives right now, to in a way be born again. We have all been born, here we are. (laughs) But that there is a way that through the fact that Christ was able to live and die and live again, that we can live and maybe die to our old ways of living, die to our old habits our old ways of thinking and yet live again and that is good news that your story now doesn't have to be your story tomorrow and that the issues you might be experiencing now perhaps based on decisions you've made and habits you have that does not have to be your story down the road and that in this earth on this planet in your life right now your life can be made new it's pretty good news And we believe that those who have taken heart to that news and those that in so doing have made Jesus the Lord of their life, saying, I know that I had a certain way of thinking, I had a certain way of viewing the world, I had a a certain way of going about decision-making and things like that, for them to turn their focus and say, but there is a Jesus, there is God, who has perhaps different ways of viewing the world, and he has different things for me, Perhaps make this decision rather than that one. And those who would say, I'm going the Jesus way, those who would say, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life, have entered into what we call the kingdom of God. And that's where the kingdom of God grabs us. Is that there is another way of life that is being lived by people right now on this earth. You all are included in that. People who would not say that they are perfect right now, but who would say, I realize that there is another way of living, that there's another way of viewing the world, that there's another way of doing, and it is informed first and foremost by the love that I believe God has for me. And people who make that decision, people who, who choose to, to have Jesus as the Lord of their life, we see that Jesus wipes away some of the stains of our past. We see that the things that are weighing us down, the decisions that weighed us down, that through his love, Christ actually is able to take those burdens off of our shoulders so that we are able to live a life of freedom, a life of forgiveness, a life of love, and a life that goes beyond our own selves, purposed for other people, so that other people can experience such a love. People who have chosen these things, people who have made decisions to enter into these things, find themselves participating in the kingdom of God, where the priorities of Jesus are prioritized, where the ways of Christ are to the best of our ability lived out by these people. That on the planet, and for our discussion, in Peoria, in the United States, the kingdom of God dwells. Well, while all, although there are political restructurings and although there are systems of hierarchy and power, we believe that above any man power is god. We believe that we can get up there and we can li- live in this world but not of the ways of the world. Now this isn't how it was always viewed. We talk about this every week that the kingdom of god is this made up of these people all around the world who are making Jesus their lord. This isn't always how life was viewed. Kind of hard to get there, but this is when it actually becomes a ra- reality, is when Jesus has his earthly ministry. It wasn't always a reality for people. Jesus came to announce and inaugurate the kingdom of God. Salvation and this kingdom come with Christ's arrival. That's one reason why Advent's really important. <laughs> it's Because the good news that we proclaim weekly It kind of begins with this Advent season, this Christmas season, where God comes down. Humanity participates in the kingdom of God that Jesus announces and inaugurates, but humanity does not control it, and that's very important. It's this book of Isaiah that we read out of earlier that I want to read out of again. Um, If you're following along in any way, this is going to be Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. And we have the words on the screen as well. This is what Isaiah says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Powerful words from the prophet Isaiah. And we pay attention to these words because in the time of Christ there were other kingdoms at hand, and it was very much a reality. There were kings, there were people that were appointed to being king, and therefore there were kings and governors that had their own kingdoms and governments. And when a king felt like it, (laughs) a king would tour his land to see who was living in it, Perhaps what assets this king had in the territory. Are my people strong? Could we perhaps form an army if needed? So you could imagine that with lack of uh, you know, quick communications like we have now, that a king, in order to, to see for himself, would actually need to get in a chariot, as it were, in these days, or on the back of a horse or something like that, and physically tour the lands. And they sent people out before them called Couriers. And couriers were messengers to announce the coming arrival of the king and to have those people get ready. So someone would go out a few weeks before the king was going to be there and say, the king is coming, Uh, could you clean up your house? Literally, "Could could you create this city block, your village, this area, could you present it nicely for the king who is to come? This is something that happened. Worldly kings, earthly governors were going to tour the land. They sent someone out before them to prepare the people for the coming of that king. And the first half of Luke chapter 3, and this is where we're going to be for the rest of our time is Luke 3, tells a story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' courier. John the Baptist is the one that we read about in Isaiah chapter 40 that Michael read just a few moments ago. The person that was foretold to go ahead of the king, King Jesus, and ask people to prepare. So if you're going to be following along with me today, Luke chapter 3. If you don't have your own Bible, there's Bibles by your feet um, uh, at the bottom of one of the chairs. We're going to be on page 1,595 if you want to follow along with one of those Bibles. Luke opens chapter 3 in a pretty unique way. And if you're following along, we're not going to read it extensively, but those first couple of verses, verses 1 and 2, Luke lays out the political climate that existed in Rome and Jerusalem during the time of Christ. If you're following along in verses 1 and 2, we read about a 15-year reign of Tiberius Caesar. We read about Pontius Pilate being a governor. We read about Herod being what's called a rock. Which is someone who oversees multiple regions. Um, Herod's brother Philip was one of those as well. Lysanius, I don't want to get my pronunciations right, I looked this up too. Lysanias, he was a rock as well. And Anas and Caiaphas, between the two of them, ran the high priesthood. On the surface, why on earth would Luke say that? It's boring. I'm here to read about Jesus. (laughs) Why are you telling me the political climate? But I think that Luke does this to clearly communicate something. Is that the kingdom that John the Baptist is announcing, the kingdom of Christ, is a kingdom unlike any other, existing among others. And that's important to understand. I think Luke takes a couple of verses to talk about what the political climate was, and to the original readers, it would make sense a lot more. Imagine when we read um, things like Pontius Pilate was governor and Herod was in position as well. It's similar language to, and for example, during the administration of Abraham Lincoln. You know what I'm saying? So the original readers of this passage would be able to, to hear, oh, oh, that's when Herod was, oh, that's when Pontius Pilate was governor. Chicago folk, or Illinois folk, you can think of Chicago's governors, right? We have this history of Rod Blagojevich and all these people, right? And we can think back to, oh, that's when he was governor. Same thing here. And I think Luke does this because he's talking about John the Baptist, and he knows that John the Baptist is is going to be ushering in a person who's going to bring a kingdom that is unlike Herod's, that is unlike Pilate's, that is unlike That of Caiaphas. And so in Luke 3, verse 3, and Isaiah 40 tells of the place that John the Baptist chooses to make this announcement. Very important things to grab here. He does this in the wilderness, he does this in the country. But John the Baptist, who is the courier of Christ, the person who is sent by the king to go before, to announce, prepare, he doesn't do this for the traditional courier reasons. Because he knows that Jesus is a different kind of king who is going to bring with him a different kind of kingdom. The countryside was the perfect place to announce this kingdom, not because of where, but because of who. And I want to explain that. Why the countryside, the wilderness, was the perfect place to announce this new kingdom. You see, being in the country then is different than it is now. Generally, if you're in the country now, if you live in the country now, you want to be there. Nothing wrong with this. You want the land. You want the space. Uh, you want the, you know, perhaps a place to grow something, you know. We kind of forget about it, but farmers live in the country, right? Because they need the land, they need the area to do their job. So now you, you find yourself in the country more or less because you want to be there. You want the acreage, perhaps you want to be a little bit farther away from the city center. That was not the mentality of country folk in the time of Christ. If you were in the country then, it's because of a number of things, all of which have some weight to them. One is that you were on the run, You could imagine that if you were trying to flee someone, then you would get to where people aren't, so you would hang out in the wilderness in the country. If you were in the country then, perhaps you were pushed out of the city center. You were so neglected that that society just kept saying, could you get out please? We read about Jesus healing those with demon possession in the scriptures that are on the outskirts of the cities. Same thing here. If you were in the country then, you were a working peasant, perhaps. Borderline slavery in some cases. These are just a few of the reasons why you would be in the country. And this, because of those people being there, is the perfect place for this kingdom to be announced first. And this is what we learn, is that the kingdom of God, which we attach the good news to that we talked about earlier, was announced first to those who didn't fit correctly in the other kingdoms of the land. And this is a massive implication. Is that the very first time that the good news was announced, the very first time that the person who went ahead of Jesus to ask people to prepare, it wasn't at the top of the highest building in the middle of downtown. And to bring this to perhaps a modern day example... It wasn't the person in the middle of the city standing on the sidewalk with a megaphone and a sign, if you've experienced this before, yelling whatever, about whatever. Why would, such, why would that person want to be there? Why would they want to be on the, the highest place? It's to be able to have the most people to hear it, but we've got to talk about the people who are hearing it because we've got to talk about the other side of the coin. We know of the people who are in the country. If you were in the downtown area, the most conventional place that perhaps you would share new news, the people that were downtown were the people who fit. The people who were downtown in this day and age were the people who were able to appropriately navigate the kingdom of Herod, for example, to appropriately navigate the kingdom of Pilate or Caiaphas. And they fit. The scriptures would give us some language if we were to read other books and other letters written by certain people. Language like they had already received their reward in full. (laughs) Which is this like satirical, somewhat sarcastic phrase that is used by certain authors. As if to say, they got it figured out. No one's bothering them and they don't need any hope, while we would argue the opposite. The coming of Christ is the best news for those who are struggling to find a place to belong. So that's why John the Baptist went to the place where people were, not that had the pomp and the circumstance, not the people who controlled the newspapers, if there was such a thing, not the people who had the influence Because the coming of Christ is the best news for people who, in their day and time, have not found a place to belong yet, or who have been pushed out of where they once were. Maybe people who belonged before, but then got pushed out. It's the best news for them first. This is the announcement of Christ from John the Baptist. I want to summarize it a new king is coming and he wants to see everyone. This is actually very good news for people who heard this announcement in this day. Once again, for John the Baptist to be in the country, to be with people who were outcasts, and to say, a king is coming, and he wants to see you. You, person, who is in the country and perhaps doesn't have a lot of hope, perhaps has been pushed out from where you once were, perhaps is on the run from someone. A new king is coming, and he wants to see you. He wants to see everyone. You may recall that this morning's theme is preparation. haven't really said it a whole lot. I'd like to speak to that now. The message of John the Baptist was meant to prepare us for the coming of Christ. We're not going to now, but if you were to read on in Luke chapter 3, Starting at verse 7, maybe later this week you can read all of Luke chapter 3. So what you would find that when John the Baptist started preaching in the country, a crowd was forming around him because this crowd was like, hey, this is good news. There's a new king king coming, there's a new way of life. What we start seeing in Luke chapter 3 starting at verse 7 is that people from the city center were traveling out to the wilderness. People like tax collectors who had it figured out, people like soldiers who had it figured out, saw a crowd forming not downtown Jerusalem, but in the country of Jerusalem. And John speaks to them how he speaks to them. That's a whole other sermon. (laughs) But we're talking about preparation because this kingdom of Christ is unlike any other. And it has rules and regulations unlike any other. And it requires preparation unlike any other so I want to say this as we consider what it means to prepare for the coming of Christ is that to prepare for the coming of Christ is to follow Christ it is not so much of where you live country folk can stay in the country that's kind of good news It's not so much about if perhaps you are wearing the right clothing. It's not so much if you have the right amount of whatever. The good news of the kingdom of God says there's not a mold for you to fit any longer. But there is a person that you are to follow instead. To adequately prepare for the coming of Christ, one must prepare to follow the way of Christ and go their own way no longer. This is what preparation for the coming of the king looks like. Now, there's some interesting things at hand as we consider this. One thought could be, and we've talked about this here before, is well, if I have to follow the way of Christ, then that means I can't go my own way anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is bad news, but only for those who really, 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 really like how they are living right now. Do you see how, do you see how this is good news for everyone, but how there's still tension there? Jesus comes, John the Baptist is announcing this new kingdom, and he says there's a new king coming. He wants to see everyone, not just the people who fit right now. And, and he's talking about this Jesus who's going to inaugurate and announce this kingdom where there's not a mold where the people in the country and downtown can be in it. And the people from this country and that country can be in it. And the people who wear those clothes and those clothes can be in it. This is really, really, really good news for the person who from time to time feels like they don't belong, who from time to time feel like they're getting pushed out, who from time to time feel like there is a structure that is surrounding them, whatever it could be, and they don't necessarily fit. The good news of Christ is saying, but I want to see you. So prepare. Get ready to follow a new way. Probably easier for someone to hold on to that when they're looking for a new way to go. So if you're in this room and you're looking for a new way to go, the king is here. He wants to see you. And the best way for you to prepare is to make a decision and say, I'm going to follow that king now. Because that's a king who actually wants to see me. Now, the good news that we proclaim was actually bad news for a lot of people. <laughs> we read on in Luke chapter 3, it was, it was bad news for soldiers who were taking advantage of people. It was bad news for tax collectors who were charging way more than they should have. It was even bad news for some of the pastors who were allowing some people to come to the temple and not allowing others. And there's preparation that they need to go through as well. And John the Baptist speaks to those people and the remainder of Luke chapter 3. But maybe you're in this room and... the good news of Christ and the good news of him dwelling with us, maybe that hasn't compelled you in a while. Maybe that hasn't actually sounded like a message of hope. Maybe that isn't the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. (laughs) And maybe that's not the thing that encourages you to, to smile and wave and be generous and kind. I'm wondering if there's different ways that we need to prepare then. Perhaps the ways that we're preparing for times where we enter in to the presence of Christ, maybe we're, maybe we're preparing incorrectly. Maybe there's a preparation that needs to take place, not in our physical worlds, but in the ways that we think. Maybe we need to prepare our minds for something new. Maybe we need to prepare our hearts for something new. Something that the Spirit of God would do in, a, in us. So, Prepare.